All right, good singing. That was an incredible time of worship. Um, forgive me, my voice, I don't know what's going on. I feel like it's fading, and so if it's... I have a cough drop in my mouth, so if that is distracting, I'm sorry. And if I have to go to a mic because my voice is getting weak, I will do that. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to continue our study through the book of James. And if you have been here, uh, you'll know that um, James is very in your face. He's, it's known... Uh, oftentimes as the in-your-face epistle. And he is going to get right eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose with us in a very big way tonight. Um, You might have heard the story about the little girl named Lucy who was in her Sunday school class with all of her little friends. And they were drawing pictures on pieces of paper And the teacher was walking around behind them, looking at what they were drawing. And when the teacher got to Lucy, she stopped and Lucy pretended like she wasn't even there and didn't even notice. And so the teacher decided to disrupt Lucy and said, Lucy, what are you drawing? Lucy responded, I'm drawing a picture of God. The teacher then responded, Lucy... No one knows what God looks like. To which the little girl replied, Well, they will when I get finished. (laughs) That's a funny story. And we know that on one level, yes, it's true. We don't have a picture of God. He cannot be drawn. But on the other hand, we do have a picture of God, don't we? We have a picture of God and what He is like in this book that is sitting in your lap tonight. In the Bible, in the Scriptures, they tell us about God's character and the things that He loves. You see, the Bible tells us the things that are close to God's heart. And in James chapter 1, verses 26 and following, we're going to learn what God loves tonight. And let's look and see in these verses a couple of things, three things. We won't get to all of them tonight that are really close to God's heart. This is God's holy word. Two verses, James 1, 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Fa- God the Father, is this, to visit orphan and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Let me pray. Father, um, <clears throat> we pray that you would be near to us. Uh, in this passage this evening. Father, I pray that you wouldn't allow us to shield ourselves or hide from the brokenness and the pain of the world. I pray that we would leave here ready to engage it 
ready to enter in to it and redeem it by your grace. Father, I also pray that you wouldn't let us off the hook with the way we use our words, but that you would bring about repentance and change in our hearts because we desperately need it. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't make it long, sorry. Um, <clears throat> look, at verses 20, look at verse 27. I think the first question we have to answer is, what does James mean by religion, this idea of true religion that is pure and undefiled? James is not using religion the way you and I think about religion. You and I think about religion in the sense of moralism, behavioralism, works righteousness. James isn't using it that way. James here is talking about true devotion to God. When he uses true religion, he is talking about someone who is truly and a fully devoted follower of God. He's talking about love for God that is motivated by grace. Let me ask you this question. When you think of someone that is devoted to God, what do you think? What comes to your mind? In other words, think of it this way. If I were to ask you right now to jot down a top ten list of what someone looks like or the characteristics that they have of someone that is devoted to God, what would you put down on your list? Most of you would probably think in terms, or some of you at least, would think of that fully devoted to God in terms of the spiritual disciplines. That person would pray a lot. They would read their Bible a lot. They would go to church regularly. They would give their money away. They would be involved in evangelism and sharing the gospel with their friends on the campus. They would come to worship services like this one. And we could go on and on. Those are good things. But James doesn't use any of those things when he defines what someone who is devoted to God looks like. Others of us would think of someone that is fully devoted. We would think of our list might be... Um, in terms of negation, meaning the things that we stay away from, we might say, well, someone that's fully devoted would be someone who stays away from the really big sins in life. And you might have a list of what those are. And unfortunately, that's the way the world often views Christianity. They look at us in terms of what we are against. You see, James goes far beyond that. He goes far beyond the disciplines. He goes far deeper than what we are against. James says being fully devoted to God has to do with what we love. Being fully devoted to God has to do with what we care about. It has to do with living a life that is in line with the very heart of God. It has to do, did you hear that? With living a life that is in line with the heart of God. And so here's the question then. 
What is close to God's heart? What does he care about? What moves him, if you will? Well, that's the question we're going to answer tonight in James chapter 1. What is close to God's heart? If you have an outline on the back of the announcements, can you turn my mic up a little, just a tad? If you have an outline, that's perfect. You'll look on the back and you'll see there's two things. Our words are close to God. What we say, what comes out of our mouth is important to Him. And then also the helpless, the needy, the orphan, the widows, the homeless. Let's look at each of those, our words. Look at verse 26. This might very well be the strongest verse in all of Scripture, in my opinion. Look at it again. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. James here is comparing the tongue with a powerful horse, a rearing horse that is ready to take off and run wild unless it is bridled, unless it is controlled. So the question is, why is James making such a big deal? Man, that's a strong statement. It's one of the strongest statements in all of Scripture. Why is he making such a big deal about our words? Because he's, not, he's just teasing us here. He makes this strong statement, and then over in chapter 3, which we're going to get to in a few weeks, he almost spends a whole chapter talking about our tongue and our words. Why does he make such a big deal out of it? Two reasons. One, our words reveal our hearts. And the Bible makes a really big deal. In the Bible, our hearts are the most important thing. Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, Out of the overflow of our mouth, our heart speaks. Here's what James is saying. We can look religious. We can do all kinds of good things and be involved in every Bible study. And it makes no difference. Because what comes out of our mouth reveals who we really are. That's what James is saying. We're getting a lot of work done on our house, uh, specifically our kitchen. And last week, we had our floor ripped up, our tile floor, uh, to get a new tile floor put down because the old one was cracked and messed up and coming up. And so it's a pretty big project. I don't know if you've been a part of this or if you're handy but they rip up the old tile floor. Then they rip up the subfloor because they have to put in a new subfloor. So they rip up the, the plywood and they get it down to the floorboards of the house. And so when I walk in to my house, I'm looking this, this particular day at the floorboards of my house, of this room in the kitchen there was a gap in the floorboards and I could actually see through into the crawl space in our house. 
underneath our house. It wasn't a pretty sight, but you see, that's what James is saying here. James is saying our words and our tongues show us what is underneath the floorboards in our lives. What we say and how we talk shows us what is underneath the floorboards of our hearts. It reveals our hearts. In other words, word problems are heart problems. You see, James is a very good pastor in that he wants to get simply past the behavior and get to our hearts because unless our hearts change, we will never change. Secondly, why does he make such a big deal out of our words? Not only because they reveal our hearts and our hearts are a big deal. He's concerned about our hearts and where they are. But secondly... Because our words belong to God. Think about this with me. I don't know you all personally really well, but I know one thing about you, and that is you talk. And because you talk, and because we all talk, words have become so mundane, haven't they? So every day, and so what we do is because they've become so mundane, we tend to treat our words care carelessly. And the Bible doesn't treat our words or talk about our words in a careless way. In fact, the Bible does the complete opposite. The Bible says that our words are very important. That our words are not ordinary the Bible places great value on what comes out of our mouths. Think about it this way. Genesis chapter 1. The, go all the way back to creation with me. The very first words ever spoken were spoken by whom? God. Not by a human being. Think about that. One of the ways that you and I are like God, created in His image, is that we talk. Is that we use words. Words belong to Him, not us. You see, God created words. He spoke the first words and He gave them to us as human beings as gifts. They're not ours. And that is why our words are a very important dimension of our lives. This is why it's such a big deal when we use our words to destroy <clears throat> rather than give life. This is why it is such a big deal when we destroy people with our words because words are a gift and when we use them as for our own selfish purposes we are taking God's good gift and we are using it as a weapon you see this is what happens when you publicly mock your friend you're taking words 
and using them for your own selfish purposes. This is what happens when the prayer request in your small group suddenly hits the gossip train. This is what happens when friends gossip and tear one another down behind their back. This is what happens when the sarcasm suddenly crosses the line and starts to get very hurtful and harmful to other people. You see, words belong to God. And we don't have the right to take them and to use them for our own selfish purposes. How are these things showing up in your lives tonight? Are your words bringing life? Is your tongue, are your words bridled? Or are they uncontrolled like the wild rearing horse? What are your words? The way you talk revealing about the true condition of your heart. You see, the first mark of true religion is a bridled tongue. The first thing that is near to God's heart is a bridled tongue. Secondly, the helpless. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Sorry about that. The second thing is the helpless. And you know, I don't know what's going on with my voice, but I'm 100% sure that God wants us to hear this tonight. Because I need to hear it. Because I'm not doing so hot so far in this test of true religion. So let's look at verse 27 and pray that I make it. Orphans and widows. You see, they were the most helpless people in Jewish society. And James is using orphans and widows here as really representative, in a representative way, of all those in the world that are helpless and in need. And so here's another test of true devotion to God. True devotion to God is the degree to which you and I can't miss this. True religion, true Christianity is measured by the degree to which you and I extend aid and care about those in the world that are helpless. And it's not just talking about orphans and widows. Yes, he's talking about them. But he's also talking about the homeless, about the poor, about the handicapped. Those that are needy around us. You see, the helpless in our world are often forgotten. They're often mistreated and they're often abused. They have no one to fight for them. And that is exactly why they are close why they are close to God's heart. You see, in the August few years ago, 
issue of Harper's Magazine, there was an article titled The Christian Paradox. And it says, the article quoted and said that three quarters of all Christians in America actually believe the Bible teaches that God helps those that help themselves. You see, biblically speaking, friends, nothing could be further from the truth because the Bible teaches that God helps the helpless. God helps the undeserving. God helps the poor and the widow. The widow. God helps those that are in need. You see, it's not just here in James. It is a theme throughout the entire Bible. Shay's going to pull up a few verses that I'll read. This is just a snapshot of what the Bible says about this. Exodus 22. Do not take advantage of the widow or an orphan. If you do, they will cry out to me, and I will certainly hear their cry. Deuteronomy 27:19 Cursed is the man who withholds justice from the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Psalm 68:5 A father to the fatherless. Defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. You see the poor, the needy, the orphans and the widows are close to God's heart. He cares about them deeply. And as Christians, we are to care about them as well. Well, what, does, what are we exactly called to do? That would be a natural question. God desires for us more to just know that they're in need and to care about them. God is calling us more to, than just to lip service. Look at verse 27. James says we are to visit them. It's an interesting word. This word visit is used of God himself. And it means to show assistance, to show relief, to care for and to alleviate suffering. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus raises a boy from the dead... And then the passage says this, God visited his people. See, we are called not just to give lip service to serving the poor and the orphans and the widows. We are called to visit them, meaning we are called to engage the world and to alleviate suffering in it for those that are oppressed and poor and in need. What are some practical ways we can do that? You're thinking, I'm a college student. It's not really practical for me to adopt an orphan. What can we do to be engaged in this? Five things, there are tons of them. But I'm going to give you five real practical applications. First of all, we can pray for orphans. Probably at your church, there's an orphan ministry. Get pictures of orphans and pray for them by name. Those waiting to be adopted. Secondly, we can give sacrificially. 
It costs a ton of money to adopt a child. What if we raised money and gave it to a family that was trying to adopt a child? Maybe we could raise money to even build an orphanage. Thirdly, support people that have adopted. There are many people, maybe that you know, and in our community that have adopted. We can take them a meal. And they will say, why are you bringing us a meal? We want to say thank you and to serve you. And thank you for being obedient to God and his word. Fourthly, we can serve at the Jimmy Hill Mission right here in our own city like we did last semester. We can do that on a regular basis. Or, fifthly, we can start volunteering at places like the Discovery Clubs on a regular basis in reaching out to those that need us. You'll hear more about that in the future and we'll have an opportunity to sign up. We can't do it all. I understand that. But we can do one of those things. And the point is, God wants us to keep the needs of the poor and the orphans and the widows right in front of us on a regular basis. That's what God wants. And so I want to say that if you read this tonight, and it goes in one ear and out the other, you're in trouble. James says, not me, James. James says, if it goes in one ear and out the other, that you're really not that devoted to Jesus. James says, if it goes in one ear and out the other, that you don't have a clue of what true Christianity is really about. You see, it's easy to think that true religion and true Christianity is about head knowledge and knowing the truth and having good theology and having a good devotional life, listening to sermons, being passionate about sharing your faith, we could go on and on, reading all the books. But James says that is not true religion. As much as I would like to think so. That's not what it is. True religion, true spirituality connects good theology, yes. But it connects it with right living and loving action. And here's the scary thing. Look at verse 26. James says that it's possible for us to be deceived in this area. In other words, we can do all the right things. We can have a quiet time every day. We can pray every day. We can do all kinds of Bible studies and religious activities and go on the retreats. But if we're not loving the poor then James says it is worthless and we're not as godly as we might think. That's what James says. I know it's hard. And so my question is, how are you doing? Have you passed the test? 
of true religion? How are you using your words? Do you love orphans and widows and those that are in distress and need and the homeless? Can I be honest? I didn't pass the test. I failed the test. And you see, maybe we need more than anything else tonight. Maybe we need the Spirit to come and to convict us through the truth of this hard passage to pierce our hearts right to the core so maybe we would even weep over our lack of love for those that are in need. And as we do that, we would repent and run to the foot of Jesus where we can receive forgiveness and grace and mercy and love and be changed. How are we changed? Look at verse 27 again. By remembering that God is our Father. It's no accident James describes God as Father in this context of talking about orphans. You see, we are changed not by trying harder, not by walking out of here and saying, I got to go love people more, I got to go serve the homeless, I got to do all these things. No. We're changed is when we repent, when we go to Jesus, and when the gospel melts our hearts. And here's the gospel. Every single one of us, the Bible says, were born orphans, spiritually speaking. We were without hope, without a family. And Jesus comes and invades our life and gives us his righteousness and his perfect obedience, brings us out of the family of darkness into God's family, and he takes us to God the Father. And God the Father wraps his arms around us and loves us and welcomes us into his family. And in his family, we are cared for absolutely perfectly because God is a good father. You see, when that message melts our hearts, when we realize that we were the ones that were without hope, Jesus pursued us and brought us into his family. You see, when that pierces us and causes us to weep because of joy, then and only then will we start to live differently. Remember Lucy drawing the pictures in Sunday school, drawing the picture of God? Well, tonight, what if you were to draw a picture of God? What would you draw? Well, I hope you would draw something that emphasized our words and how they need to be bridled. And I hope that you would Draw something that emphasized the poor and the needy and the helpless.
Why? Because those are the things that God loves. Let's pray.